the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Does character matter in our leadership? And then, did you hear the press conference from the Oklahoma softball team? You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Monday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, normally joined by Aubrey Sampson. Aubrey is on vacation this week, enjoying some time away. So, from the bullpen, I forget, you a left-hander? Calling the left-hander from the bullpen. Our friend Steve Coble. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I was telling uh, Brian earlier, I got a six and a half week old at home. So uh, me up and and at it this morning is I'm excited about it. Just you doing anything is it before I want to know all about the baby. That's where we're going to start <laughs> about life. But before we do that, you're an old baseball player, uh, former. I won't go old. You're former baseball player. So I've told you before, my son is like in the midst of baseball. He's 15, loves Mm -hmm. baseball. My daughter is 14. She's a softball player. So can I quickly tell you about my weekend real fast? Saturday morning, I am at my daughter's softball game, like 45 minutes away at nine in the morning on a Saturday morning, right? Sun is blazing. We're out in the middle of a field. Later that day, I got two games for my son. Uh, He played him at Concordia University, so, uh, you know, somewhere towards the city. And, uh, like, people are cowering looking for shade. It was so hot. I'm sunburned. Crazy. He plays again yesterday afternoon, also at Concordia University. And I was wearing a T-shirt, a long-sleeve shirt, a sweatshirt, (laughs) an umbrella, hood up. And it was like we went back – Steve, I've never experienced this swing in the summer. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. We're not supposed to start by complaining about the weather, but I'm going to complain about the weather. I've never experienced anything like that. I got, I got to tell you, man. Uh, so Concordia is in Oak Park, I, I believe it is. That sounds right. But my neighbors are probably complaining about my grass being brown. So I was excited <laughs> for the rain. <laughs> I didn't mind the rain. Uh, it was the 30 degree temperature change at the same place over the weekend. It was uh it was it was nuts, but baseball, softball, all fun. And Ooh. you're gonna you're gonna have that one day. But please, uh six and a half weeks, you had your second child. I since last time we I think last time we were you, we had you on, you were about to go on vacation. You were all relaxed. You were going to like Mexico <laughs> or the DR or something like that. Please enlighten us about life with two children, <laughs> one of them being a six and a half week old. <laughs> uh, life with two children is pretty wild, especially mine are two under two. So oh my, my oldest son is, you know, he's like 21 months now. So, um, it's just a lot going on in my house, man, and and trying to keep it all together. I mean, just the change from getting one child in and out of the car to getting two in and out of the car is like a whole operation. <laughs> it's a whole mission. It's so wild. So are you off? How much time did you take off of work? 
I took three weeks. Off. I took three weeks off. Uh, mm-hmm. My wife is still on her maternity leave until the end of the month, and so we're we're trying to figure out childcare and all of that stuff here now. <laughs> six and a half weeks. So in the last six and a half weeks, because does your almost two year old even sleep through the night? He does. Thankfully, he's he sleeps from like eight to eight. Oh gosh, most I nights. Never had a kid most that. nights, yeah. Wow. Wow. So in the last six and a half weeks, the most consecutive sleep you have gotten is what? Four hours. That's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah. My wife is nice. My wife is nice. She's kind of like if uh, she's like, it's no makes no sense for both of us to be awake and somebody's got to have the energy to handle the toddler. So (laughs) that's funny, man. That's really funny. I, I should have gone back. Name of the baby. Did everything yeah, go well? Yeah. Everything's good. That's great. Um, Cassius Wayne Coble um, is my son's name. Um, no serious complications. We had a a mild hemorrhage, um, which is still like one of those things where you go to the hospital and you're like, man, you always got to be an advocate no matter, no, no matter how yeah. smart or how uh, on top of things people seem to be. Um, but all in all, everybody's everybody's healthy and well. Okay. Cassius, does that have a family history? Will he be called Cash or be called Cassius? What's the plan there? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna call him Cash. Um and I mean really he's he's named after Muhammad Ali's uh given name when he was born as Cassius Clay, but he was uh named after an abolitionist in uh kind of a famous abolitionist in Kentucky. So that's where he gets his name from. I got to be honest. I, I'm, I'm not normally a name guy. Cash Coble's a pretty cool name. <laughs> <laughs> that's not bad, man. Yeah, yeah. I think so, too. <laughs> that that would fits. That would fits. Uh, all right. And so people should know Steve's going to be with us all week, and he's been with us a bunch of times. But Steve is a uh, teaching pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago, a, as we like to say, a stone's throw away <laughs> from the United Center. Uh, so how are things at the church for you right now? And is it like kind of, I'm guessing it's kind of a backseat thing for you right now because of uh, having a new baby, but how are things down at Renewal Church of Chicago? Well, I'm I'm just really back in the saddle. My colleague actually just went on sabbatical. Uh, so the church was wow. planted eight years ago. And so he's never been on sabbatical. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, we're thinking Good about timing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And and so it was time. Um, he, I'm the first serious help that he's had in uh, in those eight years enough to be able to say I can step away. Yeah. Um, and so I'm I'm uh, I'm running the show right now. You are running the show, but being run by toddlers in your home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what's the summer look like? And then we'll jump into more pressing things. Just wanted to catch up with you and yeah. let people hear from you. What does the summer look like at Renewal Church of Chicago? So we're How's wound, it different. Yeah, we, we wound down our small groups, um, which we had a great semester this year. And then summertime, we'll do renewal summer events. So basically, it's a high fellowship um, connection offers okay. um, opportunity for people who are coming, uh, moving into the city to get connected and plugged in. Um, but then at the same time, we kind of have the mantra, like we want to love the whole city. And so we've got small groups in different places and it 
offers an opportunity for a lot of people who have never been to certain neighborhoods to come hang out and experience hospitality in different places around the city. Um, and so we've got, you know, there's a number of things that are going, you've got the, uh, Venezuelan and Guatemalan, uh, refugees who literally I'm like driving past the police station and, um, and there's, you know, a, a hundred, uh, folks sitting outside the police station. Um, and so we're, we're trying to partner with different wow. ministries around the city to help, um, help feed them. And, um, and then we've got, a. a just a couple of classes that we've been doing um, that are kind of outsourced to a church planning organization that I work with as well. But we've got a number of people coming for that. So it kind of hits the uh, scratches the itch of like, I still want to do Bible study, but um, but we're not in small groups right now. So that's kind of kind of trying to just enjoy Chicago and um, and welcome new folks and love on uh, and kind of make it more of a high fellowship time over the summer. That's great. That's great. Uh, last personal question for you. I just recalled last time we had you on, you were in the middle of moving down by, uh, I believe, down by uh, U.S. Cellular or whatever the Sox Park is these days. Yeah. So here's the question. I won't ask you how the move has gone. I'm going to ask you percentage of boxes unpacked right now. Ooh, that's a great question. <laughs> I would I would say 87 percent. That's good. That's good. Okay. 87%. But here, here's the thing moving. And, and this is something that you, uh, that I just didn't pay attention to. My dog got stolen, uh, out of my front yard. Uh, the center caps to the wheels on my truck got stolen this morning. And so it's just, it's just like, man, no way. Did your dog get returned? Yeah, it was a whole oh it was a whole CSI thing, man. Oh, we're getting into that later. At some point this week, I want to hear that story because it sounds like it has a happy ending. Because I, you know, it does. It does. That's nuts. Well, we are thrilled to have Steve Coble with us from the Renewal Church of Chicago. He is sitting in for Aubrey, uh, who is taking some much needed and much deserved uh, vacation time this week. So Aubrey will be back later. Uh, be back next week, but Steve is with us this week. Coming up next. Uh, want to, Russell Moore had a two-word tweet that for some reason, and I guess it's because it's Twitter, had people arguing over the weekend. I want to bring it up in light of some of the political things going on around us. want to bring that up next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Trying to get warmer again here. Still not feeling like summer so much, uh, but it's trying to get warmer and uh, we're glad for that. Glad that Steve is up and awake with us as he has a six and a half week old at home. So uh, he is. I do love the fact that you have a six and a half week old and you guys still said our lead pastor needs sabbatical. So I'm going to step in and do this. Yeah. It's like There's never a good time for it. There's never a good never time. A good for time. It, so you, you got to do it. Uh, all right. Uh, we're not a political show, so we don't tend to talk a ton of politics on the show. Anybody who knows the news knows that there's a ton going on, particularly with former President Donald Trump getting indicted. And, it, you know, that's all that was all over the news. And um, so if you want to learn about those things, there's some places you could go. But here's what struck me as those indictments came down. Russell Moore. Russell Moore, who is the editor, I believe now editor-in-chief at Christian Day, or he's really high up at Christian Day, he also took a lot of stones thrown at him because he kind of stood up against President Trump for a very particular reason, uh, and it was 
he summed it up in a tweet this weekend that Steve, not surprisingly, a lot of people got very angry about, supportive for, all this stuff. Russell Moore wrote a two-word tweet uh, on June the 9th. So that would have been Friday, right after the indictments came down at 1.30. Uh, Russell Moore wrote this, character matters. That's all it said. Character matters. And people went nuts about his character, about this and that. So I don't want to dive into that so much. Steve, let me ask you this question. When it comes to politics, and you could be right, right wing, left wing, Trump, Biden, whatever, whatever you are, uh, should character actually matter when it comes to our politicians, or should it only matter to our school teachers and our pastors and whatever else? And the politicians just need to get stuff done. I've heard people. The reason I bring this up is people make the argument, quite frankly, a lot of times when it's a conversation about former President Trump. We didn't elect a pastor. Character is not what we're looking for. Uh, so talk. let's have a leadership talk, but let's start with our politicians. Do you agree with Russell Moore that character actually matters in the political world? I, I do, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I think bottom line is that you, you anybody who is going to be representing you to the world I think it's important that they have good character. Yeah. Um, the thing that I find ironic about the conversation about character and presidents is that this same conversation was reversed when Bill Clinton was in office um, and all the stuff that happened with Mo- Monica Lewinsky. And it was as though uh, he was a pariah of character or, or mm-hmm. how, however you want to say it. And so I, I just kind of think that people do gymnastics when it fits what they want. Mm, yeah. Uh, let's ask the more difficult question then. Character in the pastor world. So later on in, today, you, like Aubrey, watch the Hillsong documentary. So we're going to get into that specifically later on in the show. Uh, but, you know... There's a lot that gets kind of pushed aside in the church world in the name of lots of people coming, in the mm-hmm. name of charisma, in the name of this. Not sure how to ask the question, but why does character matter as a pastor? Why? What are the results when you platform a pastor with poor character? Let's. So it's easy to talk about the politicians. Let's talk about character in the pulpit, character in that pastoral world. Why is that? I'll speak for myself. Character in many ways, it it might be the number one outside of a growing relationship with Jesus is probably the number one element you should be looking for in a pastor. Uh, But some people might go, no, charisma is number one. That's what you need. So let's take Russell Moore's short tweet and put it towards the church world. Talk to us about why you believe character matters in the church. Well, there's so many, there's so many different things. I I think that what, what ends up happening is that, um, there are certain things when it comes to power, when it comes to, um, when it, when the, when the machine is going, uh, meaning like when, when there's a lot of people coming, when there's, um, Mm. there's a platform that tends to be the time when people overlook character. So, so then what ends up happening is the person 
with poor character going in uh, with now a lot of power and a lot of people coming, it creates an environment for a major problem to happen. So meaning like a major character flaw that, that puts a really uh, ugly black eye on the church. Um, and so you, you get stuff like uh, extramarital affairs or you get stuff like, uh, and this is, this is the thing that I, I think even too, like, and this goes a little bit further in, in another way to your question, but oftentimes, like even like with Mark Driscoll, it seems like there are certain characteristics um, that we're willing to overlook in the name of um, in the name of like charisma, as you said earlier. But like in, in the name of like, man, can you can you start something and get a lot of people to come yeah. um, and. And all, like, so, yeah, so I, I just think that like Tim Keller recently, you know, he wrote his first book in 50, at 59. He recently passed away. I didn't away. know that until he passed away. I yeah. didn't know that. And that's unbelievable for the number of books that he has out there. Yeah. So if you listen to, he has actually a, a segment on the uh, Mars Hill podcast yes, um, where he, he talks about um, the, the benefits of de- denominational accountability, actually. Um, but then he, he also talks about, um, his own temperament and, and demeanor and, uh, and what happens in settings where there's just too much power given over mm-hmm. to people. Yeah. Yeah. It, I don't know when the church is going to finally learn this lesson. And and sometimes we could like the, these headliners can make you feel like all the churches are like this, but you even see this in small churches where they allow for, you know, it never happens overnight where you have this pastor of great character who's living the godly life. Yeah. And then overnight, usually they're stealing money or having an affair. It's usually a slow move and, and churches overlook it in the name of charisma, uh, continuity. Uh, he's a good preacher. She's a great counselor. It's just crazy, I, but it happens over and over. I think even people in their minds, even though they if they play it out, they, they would see it. But I think they think like, well, people are, are coming to faith in Jesus. So right. more people, more money, more, uh, whatever. And as long as people are being reached, um, it's, it's okay to overlook character. That's right. That's right. So I read Russell Moore's quote tweet and the hard part is to then, you know, it's Jesus's old line about looking at the log in your own eye before pointing out the speck in someone else's. It's easy to look at our politicians and go, they need better character. Sometimes it's hard to look in the mirror and go, am I, am I of high character, right? Yeah. As people put and trust me with a church or me with, you know, my kids or whatever else uh, wears character. So uh, interesting. Also, two word quotes uh, blow up the Internet. So that's what happened. Also, <laughs> Moore's tweet this week coming up next. Going to delve into sports, kind of. I don't know if you saw the post-game national championship press conference from some of the college players from the University of Oklahoma. Fascinating. As they sat up there and said they preached. They really preached. We're going to listen to some of that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Steve, you're a former baseball player. Did you watch any uh, college softball? Do you watch any of that when it's on TV these days? Man, I I did. I'd watch a couple of innings here and there. I I had to confess I didn't I didn't watch the sure. whole championship run. I don't understand. First of all, 
how they hit like that ball comes so fast. <laughs> but everything's looks so small that I don't understand how they ever throw anybody else out at first base. Like I don't it's just so compact. Yeah, yeah. Like, if it feels like little league fields, but they do it. It's it's wild. So uh, the reason I bring it up is because the University of Oklahoma three-peated this week. They won their third national championship in a row. And most people are calling this, if not everybody, the greatest softball team ever. They went 61-1. and one. So they lost earlier in the year and ended up winning like 54 games in a row, which mm. is just unheard of. Uh, you know, one fluke error, one good pitching game against you. But they won all these games in a row. And so... They were giving a post-game press conference. The coach was up there with four of the players. And uh, I don't think people knew that these girls, they just started preaching. And one of the ESPN reporters basically asked, you're going to hear the question here. I'm going to play it here in a second. Like, how did you not get like overwhelmed by the pressure? Mm. How did you stay in the moment? That kind of question. Let's listen to this kind of two-minute clip from that press conference. Alex, start with ESPN for, for the players. I know you talk about keeping the joy of the game, but I'm curious. It's a long season, right? And you guys have had the target on your back the entire time, the win streak being number one. How do you handle the unique pressure that comes with that? How do you keep the joy for so long when anxiety seems like a thing that can very easily set in? Well, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. And any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. Um, I think Coach has said this before, but joy from the Lord is really the only thing that can keep you motivated, um, uh, just in a good mindset, uh, no matter the outcomes. Thankfully, we've had a lot of success this year, but if it was the other way around, uh, joy from the Lord is the only thing that can keep you embracing those memories, moments, friendships, and all of that. So uh, I, that's really the only the only answer to that because there's no other way that softball can bring you that um, because of how much failure comes in it and just how much of a roller coaster the game can be. 1,000% agree with grace lines um i went through that my freshman year i i was so happy to win the call i've talked about this before but i was just so happy that we won the college world series but i didn't feel joy i didn't have i didn't know what to do the next day i didn't know what to do for that following week i didn't feel filled and i had to find christ in that and i think that is what makes our team so strong is that we're not afraid to lose because if it's not the end of the world if we do lose. Yes, obviously we've worked our butts off to be here and we want to win, but it's not the end of the world because our life is in Christ and that's all that matters. So, Steve, I think most people were thinking they were just going to give that answer like, oh, you know, we stayed within ourselves," or, you know, we say all of which are good answers. Instead, they started talking about their relationship with Jesus and their joy being anchored in Christ and their happiness. Uh, they can't, you know, happiness being something that comes and goes based on whether you win or lose, but that they kept their perspective with their joy in Christ. And honestly, if you watch the whole clip, some of the people are like, I don't know what to do with what they yeah. just said. Uh, so uh, how about let's start here. The boldness of these college students kind of preaching from the, the post game, because I love how that she was also like, don't get me wrong. We really wanted to win. We worked hard for this, but it doesn't define us. So before getting into the essence of what these women said, what about just the boldness of saying it? Man, that's just incredible. I mean, 
uh, I work with college students now and I, I can't imagine um, them being as vocal about that on a national stage. And maybe, you know, if we gassed them up before, like, man, you better be talking about Jesus when you get up on That's the, right. uh, the interview platform. But uh, that's just really impressive. And so let's let's talk about this concept of joy versus happiness uh, our joy, you know, it makes me think of the book of Philippians, right? Where Paul's writing about joy in the midst of being facing death and being chained mm-hmm. to a prison. Uh, can you help people? You're, you're a preacher. <laughs> Differentiate for us joy and happiness and why this is kind of a fun, kind of a foundational Christian doctrine when we read Paul and others. Yeah, I think uh, I think happiness is oftentimes dependent upon circumstances and joy is something that. Uh, that is a happiness that's experienced apart from good or bad circumstances. Mm. And so it's kind of like the underlying um, underlying happiness that continues with you uh, regardless of what's going on in your life. And I think that, um, you know, Horatio Spafford's whole uh, mm. song, It Is Well With My Soul, um, the background of that, uh, song, if you've heard, if you've heard it, is that he had just lost his entire family in a uh, ship that had sunk on its way across the Atlantic Ocean. Um, and I, th- I think that there's something too, like there's something my soul is anchored to in such a way that somehow the circumstances aren't able to crush me. And the very fact that that's a thing brings joy. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, uh, I think it's a, a foundational thing to, um, the Christian faith on the basis of the fact that in this theologically, I think that this idea of, of righteousness that has been imputed to us or given to us, mm-hmm. um, I think every human being is looking for belonging, acceptance and approval. Yeah. And that's a soul level need. And in Christ, God says over us as his children, This is my beloved child upon whom my favor rests. Mm. And so if that kind of belonging, acceptance and approval has been received by grace, it establishes an ongoing joy that's not dependent on circumstances. Yeah, that's really well preached, man. Um, It is. It's Paul in the book of Philippians, right? Saying Mm -hmm. he uses the word joy, 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 joy over and over and over again. And it's the book where he's in the worst spot. It's just, it doesn't make sense. Uh, All right. So this is a difficult question. How do we actually live this out? Like, how does this make a difference? If you were preaching or someone comes to your office said, awesome message, man, about joy. I totally believe it, but I'm struggling. I don't know how to live into that. That's kind of the the $64,000 question with everything we preach. But yeah, yeah. How about particularly living into that joy? no matter the circumstances. Do you have any thoughts on that? And, you know, in some ways I have asked God for that. I have mm. prayed to ask God, God, would you allow me to experience joy? And, and oftentimes what has actually taken place in my heart is that I'm not, I'm not able to see the good gifts that God has given me that I mm. already have. And so mm. I think that when you look at um, even the simple things in life as like just the moments that I get up with my children and um, yeah. just the span of a short moment where 
my son's personality comes out and he's being mischievous, but it's really cute. It's just like, man, that's, I don't deserve that. Right. Yeah. Um, and not even just that I don't deserve that, but that's just a cool thing about life. Um, and so I think it starts with prayer. I think it starts with like, God, allow me to see the things that you've blessed me with. Um, and I think that as you go on and, and I experience this through, through suffering myself is that you start to realize like what's actually important in life. Right. Interesting. Um, what's really uh, good. What, you know, you start to actually smell the roses and taste the food and, and say, man, this is, this is wonderful. And then I also think that um, there's a contentment in the gospel um, in that um, because of, and, and this is why we have to continually and perpetually like share it with our soul uh, over yeah. and over and over and over again. And I, I actually think personally, I think the, as we live life and we sin and we mess up, I think when we, when we go ahead and, and accept the fact that we're more broken than we actually think we are, mm. but yet, you know, and Tim Keller said this, I'm, I'm more sinful than I'd ever like to admit That's and right. yet more love than I could ever imagine. Mm. Man, I just, I just think that that brings joy. Yeah. Yeah. That's such good. You've now referenced Tim Keller twice in already today. And we're going to talk about him later, just the influence, but I love that the idea of the bad news of the gospel, helping us open the door to the good news mm -hmm. and like, wow, I'm more loved because right, his follow-up to that is like, but you're more loved than you could ever imagine. Just kind of this. Oh, absolutely. I, that's helpful, man. Because I think a lot of times people they hear about joy and it almost makes them sadder. Like, but I don't feel that, yeah, right? yeah. but I don't feel that. And it's hard because joy is not a feeling. Happiness is a feeling. Joy is a fruit of the spirit. Mm. And uh, mm. yeah, good for those girls, by the way, from the University of Oklahoma. All right, coming up next, just want to get Steve's take on Rick Warren, the SBC, all that's going on down at the convention. We talked to Bob Smetana the other day about uh, that's getting kicked off today, I believe. So a little preview, going to discuss it next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, Steve, uh, you're at Renewal Church of Chicago. Remind me, non-denominational church or part of a denomination? Yeah, we're, we're a non-denominational church. Awesome. We were uh, planted through the Orchard Group, um, which oh. is uh, an organization that helps plant churches in cities. And uh, we have some affiliations with mm -hmm. uh, different groups, city to city, North America, um, and a number of other groups, but we're not, we're not denominational. All right. My church either. Aubrey's either. So it's a very non-denominational show, uh, although our program director is an Anglican. So he get, he kind of lords that over us, if you will. But uh, but here's the question, Steve. You and I were talking off air. The Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Protestant evangelical denomination that there is, is having their convention this week. Their big meetings down in New Orleans. We talked people can go get some background and go check out our conversation with Bob Smetana last week in which he kind of previewed it. But there's a couple headlines. The major headline is Rick Warren going down there and basically making the argument that Saddleback Church should not be disfellowshipped for their theology about women in ministry. He believes women should be ordained to be pastors. The SBC does not. But it's a bigger discussion about what, uh, what should cause somebody to get kicked out of a 
denomination or not. So you and I, we're kind of observers, right? We're outside the SBC. But as you've read it, as you've kind of thought about it, as you've kind of observed, what are you thinking? What are you watching down there this week? I, you know, it's hard. It's hard to, it's hard to like put into terms or words, but I think that, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, in some ways I'm like, I don't understand it. Why Rick Warren wants to fight this battle. You know, you think about Russell Moore and, uh, and Beth Moore and, uh, John Amochequa, Charlie Dates, all, the number of people who have left the SBC over the course of the past several years. And uh, it just, who, it just seems it? like that's, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, for him, it seems like that's the way to go is just to not be in the SBC. Um, mm-hmm. But but then at the same time, you think about um, the SBC as a denomination and how kind of open handed they are about so many different things. Um, it's, it's, I don't know. And maybe I should study more and some, uh, Southern Baptists could tell me more about why ordaining women is, is such a, a big deal when there's so many different things that they're really open-handed about. Yep. Yep. It's interesting. And for those of you who don't know the background, Rick Warren's argument is not that the Southern Baptist Convention should change their belief necessarily on ordination of women or whatever else it might be, but that they've never kicked churches out for this, Mm -hmm. that they've always been united under mission. And there's some argument about that, but he's always said we're united under mission and unified even in our differences. And so uh, he has done like just a social media blitz. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be high, high tension down there in new Orleans. And then you've on top of that, you've got the really important discussions about uh, the, the, the sex abuse investigations you've got there electing, you know, a Southern Baptist president this week. I mean, there's a lot of major things. So with that in mind, Steve, what does unity look like for you in a non-denominational church? What does unity look like in a denomination? Cause I think that gets at the core of some of this Rick Warren saying, we could be Southern Baptists without agreeing on everything and everyone else is some other people are going, but this is too big of a thing. How do you think through unity as you work with other churches in the city, say where you guys are or whatever else it might be? How do you, what does unity without uniformity kind of look like for you? Yeah. I I mean, I think, so I've been, I've been thinking about this recently and I think that over the course of time, my thoughts have changed um, not, not like drastically, but like in, in, in significant ways in certain areas where I do think that mission is a really central piece, uh, of things. And I've just been in a number of settings where people were focused on who was doing it the right way, as opposed to actually doing it. Uh, meaning like, like who has the right theology versus, Who's reaching people for Christ? And mm-hmm. I think that, um, yeah, we can get we can get self-focused and inward facing when we spend a lot of time. So so my perspective is what is Orthodox Christianity? Like what what const- constitutes that? And let's do that and be open handed <laughs> on the other stuff. Mm, yeah. Yeah, which is difficult, right? Like we're we're usually territorial 
Uh, it made me think of what uh, your, what you said there made me think about uh, Aubrey and I love to say on this show, uh, other people's bad evangelism is usually is better than our non evangelism. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, we could critique each other till the cows come home. But what are you actually doing? And I think you said that, like, there's things that make you Orthodox Christian and there are things that can be debated and can be argued. And uh, the reason people might wonder, why do we keep bringing up the SBC? It's because they're the biggest denomination out there. They're yeah. the ones that kind of lead the way. So it's going to be a fascinating thing. Maybe we'll have some people on from there uh, later on this week. But yeah, it'd be fascinating to watch. Watch it. At, follow Bob Smetana this week over at the Religion News Service. Follow Kate Shellnut over at Christianity Today. I know they're both down there. Going to be reporting. And so uh, lots of interesting things going on. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 until 6 p.m. For Steve Koble, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.